2 and verse number 4. That's Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to be in church tonight, Lord. Lord, thank you for um, our pastor, Lord, who has a, um, a heart and a burden for the family. I pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts tonight, Lord. Lord, thank you for the wisdom that you've given him. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would take that and impart it to us so, Lord, we can have families that are strong and families that live for you. Lord, thank you for our church. I pray that you would have your hand of blessing upon it. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Please be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.
blessed. We have a lot of good music here, a lot of good singing here, and that's wonderful. I appreciate it. Appreciate truthfully the work that it takes. I know that it takes a lot of work to uh, to make a really good blend uh, in the in the singing. And so I appreciate all the work that they put into that. As you saw in the uh, in the, the Revelation chapter three, verses one through four, it says, "Unto the angel of the church of Sardis write: These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead." The, um, it's, it's so important that we are not just going through the motions of Christianity. Uh, it's so important that we realize why we're doing what we're doing, and that we do what we do for a purpose. He says, um, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that, thou, uh, that are ready to die. He said, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, God wants us to, to again, to, he wants us to be living inside and whatever, I say it tonight, you know, whatever's still alive inside, we've got to fan that flame and get, get burning again inside for the family's sake. And, I, and what I'm going to do tonight, you'll understand this passage, I think, more at the end. I've kind of changed something up a little bit that I would normally do, but um, I'm going to go through just six, seven points as quickly as I can but these six or seven points are not, if you have, forgive me for saying it this way, not deeply uh, entrenched in, in scriptural kind of things in, in that sense where I'm not going to, uh, to go through an expository preaching right now going through the passages of scripture. These are points where somebody would ask me, what did you do with your family? And these are thoughts that I gave them. Now, they're all scripturally based, but they... Uh, but I'm not going to go through a lot of scripture with these until I get toward the end. And even at the end, uh, I, I'm going to try to give a, a, just a principle that I think will, will be my primary thought tonight that I think will help you as a family and especially rearing children. But as we're trying to go through different areas, and last week we, uh, we talked about uh, training up a child. And uh, this week we're going to talk about the, their children again. And, uh, and this is something that... that Every one of these things has to go through really all the way through their, well, their, their entire life. The truth is, uh, if you have children, and uh, if they're 60 years of age, you still have to do this as a parent, so to speak. Um, so, number one, I'm just going to get started into it. Hebrews 13, 5 says, for he, that, uh, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The principle number one, the thing that I will tell people, one of the things that, that we do, and these are not any kind of order of importance, but they would say to us, started 15, 18 years ago, what is it you've done with your family? Why is it that they seem to love God and seem to love you and your wife and, and uh, uh, seem somewhat stable? And, and, uh, and we are as imperfect as anybody out there, but, but the fact is, I would say this to them, never stop believing in each other. Never stop believing in your kids, especially in the struggles. And I would just simply tell them, we had struggles just like everybody else. Everybody's going to have struggles with kids. You know why? Because they're normal. They're human. They're going to have issues. They're going to have trouble. You know why else they're going to have struggles? Because they come from human parents. And so uh, we, we are imperfect. They are imperfect. And imperfect people are going to have times of, of issues. And the kids come under peer pressure. They come under all kinds of influences. It's amazing how one incident, one school year, one situation can change their life. 
Uh, one of the toughest things that we ever went through, honestly, was about three or four years with one of our daughters, and it started from one activity, her very first, first church activity as a seventh grader. And it all stemmed from that. And I'll just be, be honest with you, we, we had taught them, and uh, we were uh, very you know, strict with them and trying to you know, keep them uh, safe and pure and everything. And, and so uh, they went on this, this activity. And I'll be honest with you, again, I did not know all the things that they, that they, that they did because I, I jokingly say, you know, that when you've had a teenager or when you have a junior hire for the first time, that's the first time you ever had one. And so you just don't know what you're facing. And so she goes, this activity, well, I'm assuming that guys are going to be one side of the bus and girls are going to be on the other side of the bus. I'm just not expecting them to let them just intermingle in the seventh grade because, you know, there's already issues going on and hormones going on and stuff going on. And I just, you know, I want to be careful about all of this. Well, I just assumed that they would, bad assumption, because they didn't. And so my little seventh grade daughter sat down and two eighth grade uh, kids, girls, turned around and started making fun of the fact that she's sitting beside this boy in the seat and they, uh, they kept him. And this is a testimony of other kids. They kept after him and to coax them. Watch this now. They held hands. Okay. Something wicked, something terrible. They held hands. But, you know, from that, I'll be honest with you, it was as though my daughter had you know, committed adultery in the school system and, and the, the way it, and she felt guilty about it because we had taught her not to do that and the school ruled is that you don't, you don't do that. And so, and I'm thinking, and even to the day, you know, bless God, hey, if we're going to have an activity in the school rule that you don't do that, let's don't put you in a situation where you're so young that you're going to end up doing something. So it's our fault, not your fault. But anyway, um, so she did. She went, she went by it was probably two weeks. She was really just disheartened, and her whole countenance went down, and her spirit went down. And, and we, her mama finally talking to her. It came out that she had done this, and she wasn't supposed to. And so we said, well, it's okay, but you, know, you turn yourself. You know, you just tell the principal that's what you did. I mean, you take your punishment, and it'll be okay. It wasn't okay. She went and turned herself in, and it did like there was a split in the school. Half the school didn't like her because she, uh, she uh, had turned herself in and the other boy in, and half the school didn't like her because, you know, she's, uh, just now she was uh, a, a, an impure woman, okay? And, and this is seventh grade, and if you don't understand that, you've never had seventh graders, uh, they, they're, they're actually, honestly, they go from sixth grade angels and they, they become demon possessed <laughs> when they enter the seventh grade and something happens to them. And so, uh, she went through and you say, well, man, how long did that take to get through that? About the next four or five years. She carried that and carried cr criticism and ridicule and different things. Straight A student. It just amazing how, the level it went to. Say, so how'd you get through it? We had to stand beside her day after day and say, we're going to make this. Amen. We're going to get through this because I believe in you. I believe in you, and I believe God's going to use you. And my wife and, and, and I stood beside her for four or five years. I mean, she was to the point, I think it was around 10th grade, she begged and cried to let, uh, for us to send her away to go to another school. And, and, and said, so, babe, we're not going to run. We're not going to go. We're not going to do that, but we're going to make it. Okay? And we did make it. And right now, she's, a, she's an assistant pastor's wife. 
Okay, she's serving God, and, and, and she, she went through a lot, but we never stop believing in each other. Amen? Now, the reason we never stop believing in each other is kind of point number two that you know, is because love covers. The Scripture t- teaches us that, that love covers a multitude of sins, and, 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 and I don't mean that, you, that love is going to hide that sin. Okay, let's bury it. Don't let anybody sit. I don't mean that at all. It means my love means that, that no matter what you have done, I love you so much, I will continue to believe in you, and we will get through this. Amen. And that love says, I don't see your error, I see somebody I love. Okay, and so we, we work through it that way. Now, it, and, and that's pointed toward the children, but, but the fact is, is that it's very important that it goes both ways. Love, it must be permeating your home. Because, anybody here, parents, anybody a parent, would you raise your hand, please? I'd like to get any response I can at any time that shows me that possibly you're awake, except the person just got punched and they went, okay, okay. I love that one where the guy goes to sleep in church and the guy beside him punches him and says, they want you to pray. And he stands up and prays right in the middle of the service. And so, it's a great idea. Try it on somebody before so I'm going to do it on Brother Bob next week. So, the... the uh, but the fact is, is that I was, uh, and I may have told you this story, but you're going to hear it about 9,000 more times. But, uh, but I, I, I was downstairs, and I was uh, doing something, and all of a sudden I heard the greatest commotion upstairs. It was just World War III was going on. Our oldest daughter, Brooke, was 13. Our next daughter was 12. Our next one was, uh, whatever that made her, 10. And so I come running upstairs, and, 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 and right there in the end of the hallway was this pile of bodies and hair. They were tangled up like a spider web. Did you know that girls will fight? Anybody? Did you know that? And so uh, they will. And, and so I came running up there, and, and I did everything exactly the way you're not supposed to do it. I've been taught everything. You know, you don't discipline in anger. I wasn't angry. I was furious. And so I went up there, and man, I grabbed a body, and I peeled it away from that pile. And I mean, it's nails, it's hair, it's screaming, it's hollering. I peeled it away, and I peeled my belt off, and flap, on that, and I put her down. I grabbed the next and peeled her up, flap, put her down. I grabbed the next and flap, put her down, and now I'm going to find out what happened. <laughs> and I went down through there, and you have to understand, I'm kind of a calm, cool, collected kind of guy. And so I, I looked in my, my, my uh, whatever you ever want, Ashley's sitting there, and I looked at Ashley, and I said, Ashley, what in the world are you doing? And I'm about like that, and Ashley's like, uh, you know, I said, Ashley, what in the world are you doing? She said, Heather hit me. I said, Heather, what in the world are you doing? She said, Ashley hit me. I said, Brooke, what are you doing? She said, Daddy, I got here just before you did. <laughs> she said, I was trying to break them up. Oh, yeah. Man, I felt, I just, I dropped to my knees in front of her, and I just started to cry. I said, baby, I'm so sorry, because I'd done everything wrong, everything wrong. And this girl taught me the greatest lesson maybe I've ever learned in childhood. And I, I fell on my knees, and I, I began crying. I said, baby, I'm so sorry. And I lifted up the belt to her, and I said, here, you whip me. Now, thank God she didn't, but, uh, <laughs> but. She slid out of her chair, out of the couch there, and she wrapped her arms around my neck. And she said, Daddy, I love you. It's okay. 
it's okay that I just whipped you for no reason. Because, Daddy, I love you. It's okay. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, number three, in connection with that one, is be real. But be really trying to be what God and Christ would have you to be. It's a big thing today to say, well, I'm just real. That's just who I am. Well, that's okay if who you are is trying to be like Christ. But if you're not trying to be like Christ, there's a problem. But I think we need to be real. And by that, when, I, when you fail, admit it to your children that you fail. And I'm talking about when they know you did. And can I tell you, they, your kids know more about you than anybody else. I mean, they know you. They know. And so I, one of the things that really helped me to see this one is in those early years, I'd be there to college and I'd be counseling young college kids that were struggling. And so many times they would make a statement to me like this, my parents are hypocrites. And I'd say, why, why would you say that? Why would you? I'd say, man, everybody's imperfect. You expect your parents? They'd say, no, they act like they're perfect in public, but I know what they're like at home. Well, can I tell you, my children knew what we were like at home and what we were like in public, and they knew this. They knew that I was imperfect, and when, in, in that imperfection so many times I had to simply say, baby, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm working on it. I would sometimes get on to them about something, and I'd have to look at them and say, do you know why I'm getting on to you about this? Because I've struggled with it my whole life, and I don't want you to go down that road and struggle with it. I was just honest. My wife and I tried to be honest with the kids and said, look, I, I'm talking about everything, you know, come out and say, oh, man, I, I, you know, I said this today and I shouldn't have said that. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about when I'm dealing with them and living with them and they know that I have failed. They know it. Look, we need to look at them and say, that's not acceptable. The fact that I, I failed is not acceptable. I'm sorry. I want to do better. Listen, it's one thing when they, they see you err and they believe that you don't see the error or don't think you need to, to, to confess it to God or to get it right. But it's another thing when they see you err, but they know that you hate the error. You don't want to be that way. You want to be better. You want to be a better mama. You want to be a better daddy. They need to see that. They need to know that because, listen, folks, don't try to hide it. They know your imperfections. They know them. They know you got an argument on the way here tonight as you were late. I'm just looking for some expressions here. Some kids that just go, you know. Now, number four, I think it is, purpose to find, purpose to find every way that you can enjoy the Christian life with your children. In what we believe, a way we believe, and I'm as strong on, on standards, convictions, as any human being, I think, that, that lives. And I, and I try to be that way with my, my kids. But at the same time, I try to enjoy everything that I could possibly enjoy with them. 
And, and look, that means sometimes it'll cost you more money. It'll cost you more effort. It'll cost you, you got to go the extra mile. There's a lot of things that you need to do, but I'm just telling you, you need to find every way you can rather than simply say, no, we can't do that, and no, we can't do that, and no, we don't go there, and no, we don't. No, I, listen, you don't have to say no to everything. You can say, hey, we may not be able to go with that group there. We may not be able to go to that place, but, but guess what? We... But just when we had the, our, all of our kids, all of our grandkids, everybody together this summer, and, and uh, Ken and Candace live on a, a house that sits on a hill, and it is the longest sloping oh, hill uh, going down there. It must, have been, it, it must be 200 yards down there. Oh, look, I'm not going to take my grandkids to a water park. Okay, I'm not. It's just the way the people are dressed, the way things go on there. I'm not going to do that. But, but we went and spent some money, a, lo- a little bit of money, a lot of money. But we got, we got that plastic and we got that thing. It went a 200-yard slippery slide. And I'm telling you, you get going so fast down that thing, you would, you'd go after you hit the end of the plastic, you're sliding through 20 yards of mud. <laughs> And it was incredible. We had a wonderful time. And they start, and then we got those, you know, those uh, whatever floaty things that you use in swimming pools. We're riding those things down this thing. And we're spinning. We're, we've got three and four on top of each other, and they're going to fly in there. And we, look, have fun. Be a little crazy. Make your kids want you to, hey, if you're going, I don't know who else is going to the ball game tomorrow. Truthfully, I'm hoping it's rained out. But anyway, then, I don't know who else is going to the ball game tomorrow. But when you go, it ought to be you as a parent. Your kids ought to say, I want mom and dad to go. Because they're more fun than anybody else. Every, every, when we would travel, if we ever hit the mountains, I'm going to pull to the side of the road and listen for a river. Because I don't have to go where everybody else goes, but bless God, if I can hear a river, we're going to park to the side of the road and we're going across down the mountain and we're going to go find that river and go play. We were coming down to, in uh, north, I always remember, northeast Alabama. Anybody ever been through northeast Alabama? There's a, I don't know where it is. I don't know if I could ever find it again. But you come through northeast Alabama and we came around this curve and it looked like, like a miniature Grand Canyon. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was a river running down this canyon. We're going to go across the bridge this way. The river's going this way. The canyon's going. And so we come there, and, you, and there's about a 50 or 60, 70-foot waterfall. It was beautiful. And so I just pulled off, whipped off the side of the road, and, and, and I got out, and, and, and there we, we are on the side of the bridge there, and, 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 and I came around the side, and I'm looking, and it's shallow water, but it's white water running down, and it probably goes 100 yards or so and before it goes off the waterfall. And so I called for the girls, Joe Beth, and we all unload, and I ran to the side of the, 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 the bridge there, and there was a sign that said, do not cross here. And, and so I didn't. I went right here, and I, <laughs> I never crossed through those signs. And so um, they're hard to get through. And so we went down there, and I wasn't the only one. There was a path. So anyway, I went down, and we went down there. Joe Beth got up there, up the river, and that, and that white water, the little shallow white water, she'd turn a kid loose. I'd be down here about 20 yards from the waterfall, and they'd come flying at me, and I'd catch them, and I'd set them up. They'd go run. We had our own water park. Used to have seven kids. One of them went off the... <laughs> we missed them. 
But it, well, we gotta go. You gotta go find places to have fun. Just enjoy, play, enjoy everything we can with them, because the years are few and fast, and you better enjoy them while you can. That's, uh, when we put out the culotte patterns back here that we have, we, won't, we, we believe our girls ought to be modest, but if you look at the pictures, they're pictures, what they are, they're snow ski outfits. Those were the original outfits that, that Jo Beth made, and she created that whole pattern. We had it printed and made, and we did that, and it cost a lot of money, and a lot of money to make those ski outfits because one winter, one Christmas, we said, we're going, somehow, we're going to take our girls snow skiing up in Michigan. And so she planned and she made and had made these ski outfits and ski culottes and matching jackets and all this stuff so that they looked just, I mean, I started to say GQ, but I think that's men. And, uh, and you know, but they, and they looked sharp and we, and it cost a lot of money. We had to save up the whole year to go to it. But when they went out to the slope, we got to go snow skiing. We got to go and enjoy. And can I tell you, the whole time they were out there, they didn't have sneers. There were all kinds of girls that were asking them, where in the world did you get your outfit? It just looked classy. It looked sharp. And you can look when we put them out there, you can see the, the picture. They're beautiful in them. But it's a lot of effort. Here's the problem. Most of us, we, most of our compromise is simply because we don't want to take the, the time and the money to do what we need to do to make it right. You don't, it, it, and here's what we do. No, we can't do it. Uh, that's a terrible way to rear your kids. And so, number next, number five, know what you believe. Get this one, please. This is crucial. I've seen this is one of the key factors. I have stronger points as to why we lose our kids, but number five, know what you believe and why you believe it. Hello? Know what you believe and why you believe it. Stick with those beliefs for life and teach your children what you believe and why you believe. If there's anything that's hurt our whole movement is the fact that, that most of our children have conformed without ever believing. And the reason they have conformed without ever believing is because we, we were intense enough, forceful enough as parents to make them conform, but we never taught them. And the truth is, is because we never knew. Again, if you, uh, one of the books is out of print, we've got to get it reprinted, but Joe Beth's got two books. It's called Your Body's Not Your Own, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And those are two, they're about 600 pages full of truths and principles from the Word of God about women. You know what? We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because otherwise, they're just conforming. And conforming never lasts. It's not real. But if somebody believes something, it doesn't make any difference what the rest of the world does. This is what we believe. Why? Well, because it's right here. Hello? Now, number six, I think it is. Never give up the fight. This is the marriage principle here. Um, you didn't get that, did you? No. Never give up the fight. And by that, I mean fight for the spiritual life of your family, fight for your children, your marriage, the sanctity of your home. Too many become weary in well-doing in child-rearing and marriage building. Uh, I used to, I give this illustration for years, but, but, you know, with six daughters going to school, and, you know, a couple of them in grade school, a couple of them junior high, a couple of them in high school, and then three of them in high school, and 
whatever. Do you think there's ever a day when maybe one, one of them out of those six came to the door in something that was not appropriate? Do you think there's ever a day that they came where something was too tight, too short, too something? You think that? Come on, folks. You think that might have happened? Yeah. And watch this. Here's what happens most of the time is, is we, that's at our point of compromise because we got to go now. We got to get there. And, and here's what will happen. I, we stop at the door. My girls knew, I don't care if we have to do this every day our entire life. Here's what's going to happen. We come to the door, and she looks at me, and I say, baby, you can't wear that. But, Daddy, we're going to be late. You say, what, what, what do you do about that? I looked at her and said, but, baby, we got seven women in this house. We ain't never been on time. So that's not a good excuse. They said, but daddy, it was okay last week. And I said, but baby, you ate too much this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know, it's following you, baby. It's just, it's not going to work. But the worst one, but daddy, just this one time. Now listen, if it's okay one time, it's okay every time. And if, it's, if I say okay to something that I don't believe in, don't agree in, it's meaningless. It was a rule without reason. But no, I have a reason for what I'm saying. And I'd have to tell Joe Beth sometimes and say, take it to her and show her and explain to her. Because look, hey, Guys look at you different than girls look at you. And so I would say, look, it, it, look, it's so easy at that time to, here's what happens. It happened this week, and it happens again next week, and it happens three times next week. And finally you just say, most dads just say, okay, I'm done because mama's saying, well, look, it won't hurt this one time, and we are going to be late, and we got to go. And, and the dad's finally saying, look, okay, just do whatever you want to do. I'm tired of fighting it. You just lost your kids. Because then now they know they push you to that extreme on every issue and you'll throw up your hands and give up. If they know, you will not give up. That doesn't mean that you don't change your mind about something. or, or That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't really realize and say, you know what, maybe I was wrong about this. But I'm saying everything that's a solid Rule and clearly define, we are not changing from that. And you don't have to be mean about that. Don't have to be harsh about that. Don't have to get intense about that. You just don't know. But, no. But this, no. And, you know, every time you ask another question, we're going to be about 30 seconds later getting there. Because we ain't going. Okay. All right, number seven, and here's my real point for the night. As it says back in Revelation, it said, and unto the angel of Sardis, it says, These things saith unto he the seven spirits of this God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that, that are ready to die. Thou livest and art dead. Number seven, if you go to Romans chapter 10, and I apologize, I've got verses on these things, but, but my time just won't allow me to go to them. If Romans chapter 10, and, and even here, just please let me uh, just sort of use something here. 
I don't do this very often, but, but it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, and I want you to know this is, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, they didn't know Christ. They didn't have a knowledge of Christ, but they had a zeal for God. And I read that one day and understood that, you know, sometimes you can be out of balance in your zeal and your knowledge. And so, as I looked at it, and the Lord just kind of brought this to my heart, was I started realizing that this is probably one of the great factors that hurts us in our children. And, and if you miss everything that I've said tonight, there's a couple of points that I think are really, really vital. But this one is, is crucial when it comes to rearing your kids in church. Many people think if we just rear them in church, then we've done our bit and everything's going to be okay. But that's not the case. Now, I want you to notice, it's, first, let's use these two words, zeal and knowledge. When you first get saved, if you were like I was, now I know a lot of the kids in here, they got saved very young age and won't fully under, understand this, but when I was uh, 20 years of age at Memphis State, I got saved. Now, I didn't understand, I didn't know anything. The truth is, I didn't know the books of the Bible. I, I probably had never memorized one verse of the Bible. No, not probably. I know I hadn't. I had never memorized one verse of the Bible. I never read the Bible a half dozen times in my life, I'm sure. And so I had, though, there's something that happened to me. There's a, a zeal that came inside of me. Now, I, I didn't go to church. I wasn't studying. I, I wasn't, nobody, I wasn't baptized. But, but the night, uh, probably a year and a half or maybe even, yeah, probably about a year and a half after I got saved, maybe two years after I got saved, I'm sitting with Joe Beth one night. Uh, at the, my brother and I had an apartment right beside Memphis State, and Joe Beth and I, uh, we're going to go out on a date. She's sitting there. We're listening to my music play. And my buddy uh, called me and, and he said, hey, Robert, and, and it's a long story, but he said, uh, he said, I just got saved, you know, and I, I didn't understand all the terminology, but I said, man, it's incredible. And, and, and he said, he just got saved. And he said, do you know what God told me? Or I mean, what the guy told me that God said in his word? And I said, what? He said, the guy that told me about Christ said that, that the Bible says everything you do should be done to the glory of God. Well, here I am, I'm sitting on a couch with my fiance, listening to my, my pioneer system with my, you know, my turntable going all the time, and, and, and it wasn't exactly the Hooker family singing on it, okay? Okay, and I got, I got a little bit of everything. As a matter of fact, the one I'm listening to has got, it's a skull on the front with wings through it, little demons around it, and I'm sitting there listening to my music. I got an afro and a beard, amen? And I look incredible, and so... He says, everything you do should be done in the glory of God. I hung up the phone. I sat there. You asked, Joe Beth, it's not true. Sat there maybe five minutes, maybe ten minutes, and I've never been to church, never been baptized, nothing. But somebody was in here. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to it, and I sat there staring at that thing and listening to it, and I looked at her, and I said, this can't glorify God. Hey, there was a zeal there with no knowledge. Now, I got up and I broke every, I, I gathered probably 50, 60 albums. Joe Beth probably gathered that many tapes. We walked out to the dumpster and snapped every one of them. I didn't just throw them in. I broke every one of them. You know why? Because I knew if I didn't break them, I'd be in that dumpster before the night was over. Because I listen to music all the time. 
I had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I didn't have a lot of knowledge. I didn't know anything about much the Word of God. Matter of fact, he just gave me about as much Bible as I knew other than the plan of salvation that God says everything you do should be done to the glory of God. And that little bit of knowledge, I had zeal about it. I can't explain it. Most people, you got to preach them to death to get them to change anything like that. I don't even know why it happened. All I know is I broke every bit of it. And I also know that part of the albums were my brothers, and I should not have done that. And so I broke all of his stuff too. He was not, he didn't make the same spiritual decision that night. So I had zeal, but no knowledge. And that's really where we are when we first get saved. We have a zeal, but no knowledge. If you really know that you got saved, you got to, you, it, something starts to happen, and man, you're just excited. And, and you, don't, you don't know about anything. You don't know how to dress. Well, I went to Bible college. I still didn't know anything. When I showed up Bible college, they said you had to wear a tie. I didn't wear a tie for anything. I mean, we, we, never, we just didn't wear a suit and tie for anything. And I had to wear a suit and tie to, to college every day. I had two suits. They were both Western-style suits some guy had given me. I had cowboy boots. And, and, and they, were, they were the leisure suits. And if you, you have to be old enough to understand. Now, here I am with leisure suits with these collars out to here. And, and I got, I got, a, I got a, a knot. Of course, it's probably in now. But I got a, you know, I don't know how to tie a tie. And I got a knot about this big up here. You know, about big enough to choke a mule. And my tie comes up to about right here. I, I, I'm, I got high water pants. Walking around, I don't know anything about anything. I'm going to Bible college. Look like, but most of the guys, I, I felt fine because most of them, they're in work boots with their suit on. You know, I mean, they, we don't know anything. They just, you're supposed to have a time. I had one guy, it was so bad, I had a guy walking to me one day. He said to me, he said, uh, he said you know, you, if you wear a T-shirt with a white shirt, it makes it look whiter. And I said, you say my shirt ain't white? He said, no, I, I said, Man, this thing's clean. It's white. He said, I didn't want to say anything. I don't want to offend you. He said, but man, you need to put a T-shirt on under that because you look like you're wearing a mohair sweater on under that thing. <laughs> and so I didn't know. I didn't know you're supposed to wear a T-shirt under these, these things to cover all that up. I didn't know. I had to see him. But, but you know what we did do? We'd go out, go out soul one in the middle of the night. I only knew a few verses, and they were the verses about how to win somebody to Christ. But I'd go down outside the bars and joints, sometimes all night long, telling people about Christ. We'd go street preaching. People don't do it much anymore, but we'd go street preaching. We had a zeal of God, a bunch of guys that had a zeal, but not much knowledge. Now, that's where, honestly, a growing church has people like that. And they're wonderful because they're excited. They don't know what they're doing, but they're excited about doing something. They're excited about the fact they got saved. Anybody ever remember that feeling? Amen. Now, here's the, here's, here's the wonderful thing, though. If you get in a good church, you begin to learn something, especially when you come under this magnificent Bible preaching. Thank you. All right. It's not happening tonight, and I understand that, but uh, this is as topical as topical can be. But, but the fact is, is that, that when you come to church and you, you start to learn about the Bible, you start to learn the books of the Bible. It happened for me at, really at Bible college. Bible college, I started learning that, Hez, I learned that Hezekiah was not a book of the Bible. 
I did not know it before I went to Bible college because I tried to find it one day in class, you know. And so I, I, I'm, I'm learning. I even learned how to tie my tie. I learned to wear a white shirt underneath my shirt, you know, a T-shirt. I, I learned how to dress. I learned to, to get me some uh, uh, Stacy Adams shoes. I learned how to get all that. I, I learned about doing that, but I learned the Word of God. I started to learn to grow. And so I moved into the next phase. It's called zeal and knowledge. See, that's really, really what God wants. He wants people with zeal, but he also wants people learning. He wants a balance of those two things. And, and you know, we err on either side of this. There's some churches that are all about zeal and about very little knowledge. There's some churches that are all about knowledge and very little zeal. What God wants us to have is, is knowledge and zeal. Amen? So we want to come to church and learn on Sunday night. We also want to be here Saturday and go soul winning, right? Okay, thank you for those amens. But he wants you to have a balance of those two things. That's a great place to be where you're starting to increase in your knowledge, but your zeal stays strong. Zeal and knowledge. Now, here's the problem, though. That's not what happens. Or that happens often. But here's what happens. We digress, not progress. We digress from zeal and knowledge to the next stage. The next stage is no zeal, but knowledge. It happens all over the churches. You see it everywhere, all over America. And what you have is people that, that okay, Miss Johnny May, when did you get saved? In, in a very short answer. I forgot you didn't have a voice. Yeah, yeah. 1951, okay? My preacher once said that the average lifespan of a soul winner is three to five years. So I don't know how old were you when you got saved? 11 years old. So she's 11 years old, and about 16, she's kind of burned out on this thing of going soul winning. Because at 11, she got excited about getting saved. And it's just an illustration, but she, you know, you're 11 years old, you get excited. Maybe you're 15 years old, you're 20 years old, you get excited about it. You may you get, ex- boy, you get on fire, and maybe even came to church here, and you get kind of, man, I'm getting excited about this. And here's what happens is, is that we start to learn, and we get more knowledge, and we got some seal. But then as we start to gain more and more knowledge, our zeal starts to wane. Now, she is not the norm. Here we are, 1951, she got saved 11 years old, and now all these years later, 2016, she still goes out visiting on Saturday. You know what she's done? She's kept the zeal and the knowledge, and she's grown in knowledge of the Word of God, but, but what happens is, is in so many of our families what we do is we bring our children when they're young into church. And we get excited about church and excited about the things of God. But about the time they need it most, when they're about 13 to 14 years old, and they really need us to stay solid and strong, that's where we kind of start getting weary of all of this. The weary of the doing, the weary of the visiting, the weary of the involvement, the weary of all the things that go on. This point is simply this. Get involved and stay involved in a life-changing ministry. And you say, how long? You're going to have to do it the rest of your life. 
because if the moment the zeal and all the doing stops and all you do is come to church to learn, 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 in reality, you're going to go to the next stage because that which is never used, pretty soon there's no need in having it. Can I tell you, in many of our churches, our teenagers coming to church, good homes, good families, pastor's kids, deacon's kids, whatever, good homes, good families, they come to church and they might as well be hearing how to dissect a frog. They come three times a week. They come to youth meeting. They come to Christian school, and you know what they're hearing? Every time you get up and preach and every time you teach the Word of God, they, they, here's what they're hearing. They're hearing how to dissect a frog. And watch this. They've been hearing it for the last 10 years of their life, and watch, they don't care about dissecting a frog. They're never going to dissect a frog. They don't want to dissect a frog, but they got to come three or four times a week and listen to somebody tell them how to do it. You say, what does that mean, Brother Hooker? Look, they're coming in, and you're walking in, and when you walk in, they sit down, and it's like, oh, no, here we go again. We're going to listen to how to dissect a frog, and I'm never going to do it. And you know why I'm never going to do it? Because mom and dad never do it. Nothing he talks about, nothing he says ever changes anything that we do. So it might as well be just listening to something that I'm never going to do. Because we're never going to change. You know what happened? We've been in church for a long time, so we've got it all. And as we've got all the knowledge, I mean, we got it all together. We know our system. We know what we're doing. We know how it works. So why are we here? For your kids' sake, why are you here? Why do you come to church? Because if nothing that's ever said is going to change anything that we do, let me ask you, is it real? Is it important? If it does not change us, it must not be real to us. And, and listen to me, many young people grow up in... I, I, went, I surveyed a, a large class of, of Christian kids. They were in Christian high school. They were 10th graders, uh, speaking to a group of 10th graders. There's about 50 of them. And I surveyed them, one simple question. It was really, a, you know, one question, but about the books of the Bible. And I asked them several books of the Bible. Are these in the Old Testament or the New Testament? That's all I'm asking. They, and, and I only asked this of kids that went from kindergarten all the way through 10th grade of this fundamental Christian school. And do you know that some of them did not know whether some of these books of the Bible were Old Testament or New Testament? You say, well, they were never taught. No, they were too. They were taught to the books of the Bible, but why listen to it? Can I tell you what's going on in most churches and even our Christian school with many of our good kids? And, I, and, and look, I've been thrilled. I don't believe it's happening here, but, but it can happen. Here's what's happened. The preacher gets up to preach, and almost from the time we get past announcements or anything humorous, here's what most of our kids are hearing. Wah, 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 wah. 
And every once in a while, they'll kind of wake up. There's somebody going, wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah. Because there's stuff that's never going to be done. We had no zeal but knowledge. And our children say, why do I go to church? You know, a very, very high percentage of our good Christian kids don't go to church after 18, 19, 20 years old. They don't go back. You know, say, well, I didn't get anything, and we'll blame the youth director, we'll blame the church, we'll blame the school. Can I tell you, moms and dads, it's you. Is it real? When they walk out tonight, do they, will they say, whew, that's something we need. And I don't mean every service that you get, but I'm saying every, look, just sometimes. Do you say, we may need to work on that. Did you hear what the preacher said? What do you think about that? We need to do that, don't we? When we don't do anything with what we hear, we're telling our children we're all in there to hear one more time how to dissect a frog. And guess what, kids? We're going to do this three times a week. And we're going to go waste hours and hours of our week listening to something we're never going to do. And your kids growing up saying, how stupid is that? I'm not going to do that. And can I tell you, that leads them to the final stage of no zeal, no knowledge. Even though they go to Christian school, they come to church, they go to youth group, they do everything they were supposed to do. They're everywhere they're supposed to be. And they heard wah, 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 wah the whole time. So they get through after 18 years and they have no zeal because it's not real anyway. They have no knowledge. Why even listen? Blank it out and think about anything you can think about because it's purposeless. And that's what's killing our kids. It's all over America. And they say, we did it all right. We had them in school. We had them in youth group. We had them at everything. What were you doing? And I, listen to me. I know you get weary. I'm be honest with you. I'm one of the few preachers that knows both sides of it because I worked a full-time job. About 50, 60 hours a week sometimes at the college. And then the weekends started for me at 6 o'clock, basically on Saturday morning. And you can ask anybody that worked with me, for about the next 40 out of the next 48 hours, we were going nonstop. Now, I created that ministry and made that ministry in such a way that I'll have my family around me many of those hours, which was our survival. And I don't advise anybody to do what I did, but I pretty much did seven days a week. So I know what it's like to work all week long and then give up some time to go do something. But I'm telling you this, you're not giving up anything. You're gaining incredible things. If 
You do it because you love it and they know you believe in it. If you're doing it out of drudgery, if you're doing it because you have to, if you're doing it because somebody expects it, your kids know that too. They got to love it. You got to love it. You got to believe it. And we got to be people that stop at phase two. Keep growing in knowledge. Keep our zeal for the Lord. Father, thank you for the patience.